0: Welcome back to the Trojan Talk podcast. I'm Ryan Young. As always, I'm joined by Max Brown, my co-host, the former USC quarterback, our Trojansports.com analyst. Max, how are you? Ryan, I'm great. Pumped to be talking with you. How are you? Yeah, we had a, unfortunately we had a we had a week off that no one wanted, but we're back. But Max and I are going to go a little bit shorter than normal today because I also have. Rivals analyst Adam Gorney joining the podcast to talk about recruiting stuff because the early signing period is less than two weeks away. It is December 16th, and we've already seen just a ton of activity this past week, starting with USC flipping four-star top 100 wide receiver Kyron Ware-Hudson from Oregon. They then had a receiver fall out of the class and Josh Moore. They then had four-star quarterback, Jake Garcia decommit on Thursday night. And, Max, we're going to start there because I want to get your perspective on this as well. If you were – well, you were, so let's just go back to the time when you were <laughs> a, a top a top national quarterback recruit. And you've already, I guess, made peace with there being two quarterbacks in the class. And then you see USC start to recruit a third quarterback. And not just recruit, but aggressively prioritize and like make a major target a third quarterback how would you have handled this and do you kind of understand jake garcia's mindset and and backing off his pledge last night
1: yeah no it's a good question i think uh so much of it is we don't know exactly what's being said uh behind the scenes and right. i think that, that's, that's a, a big caveat just because uh i mean every every situation is different every recruiting class is different i know for me in my personal situation One of the biggest attractions with USC when I was in it was they did not have another quarterback, not only in my class, but in the grade above me as well. And that was super attractive because, you know, like you're the dude and just by default, they're going to have to pour resources into you, I guess you could say, just because there's no one else there. So I think that's always a, a, a unique, unique starting point. but. For me, I felt like Ryan. We have talked. Uh, we've had several podcasts over the past, I don't know, five or six months, and it was kind of the, the narrative was always Miller Moss is rock solid, and Jake Garcia, like, is he going to Miami? I mean, going to SEC? Who or who knows right. what happens there? And I think I would not be surprised if behind the scenes they got the whiff that hey, we're not sure exactly where Jake is, but we know we have to have two guys, so then we're gonna recruit a third guy, and, and that and it's goofy and it's weird and all that. But I, I mean. I feel like there's something to be said about hey it's a game on both sides which we've talked about before is hey the coaching staff they got to play their game they got to be prepared as well and then you I don't blame Jake Garcia for uh, for uh, doing what he's got to do to, to get the best scenario as well but I totally level with the fact of I mean it when I was in it I, I mean I had no problem competing obviously uh, showed that during my time at sc but in terms of a Being a freshman, you want to walk in being the dude. And I think, I mean, it's funny. I was looking on Twitter and I saw like Miller Moss congratulating Jake as out of respect. But I'm sitting there thinking, man, Miller Moss has to be so stoked. He has to be so (laughs) pumped that uh, a guy's leaving camp. And we'll see if they get, if another guy, an additional quarterback comes in. But that stuff's always funny. A lot of moving pieces. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, Jake Garcia looks like uh, obviously heading elsewhere right now.
0: Yeah, so let me just paint the picture from my perspective and what I know, and I'll get into it more in depth with Gorney later in the show, but essentially, they, they knew they needed two quarterbacks, they locked up Jake Garcia last, well, I, I shouldn't say locked up, they got <laughs> from Jake Garcia last September, last last September, like more than a year ago, and then uh, Miller Moss jumped on board in June, they didn't really know about Jackson Dart at that point, and... It wasn't just them. Most people didn't. Jackson Dart had been lighting up for a small high school in Utah. He transfers to a Utah State power this year, puts up ungodly stats, breaking Utah State records for passing touchdowns, 67, and total offense, and drawing the attention of many, many big-time programs, including USC. So they kind of just came upon him after the fact, after they had these two guys committed, and they were they were blown away by what they saw. And they thought, man, this guy could be elite. And essentially, they decided, we're not going to sit this one out. Yeah, we have two guys committed, but, but this guy could be elite. We're not going to sit this one out. And whatever happens, happens. And so they, they made their bed with, with that approach, knowing that there could be collateral damage. And I thought all along that, you know, eventually there would be if they were somehow to get Jackson Dart on board, then you're going to see probably a Jake Garcia go elsewhere. I thought he would wait until Jackson Dart made his decision. I know a lot of people on Thursday night wanted to connect the dots and go, oh, this must mean that they have Jackson Dart now. It doesn't. I talked to Jackson Dart. I talked to his dad. I talked to other sources. He has not decided yet. And when I say I talked to them, I talked to them last night after this happens. He's, he's still between USC and Arizona State, and he wants to use these next two weeks. He told me to, to watch all the games and just get a fuller sense of the offenses in his head and give himself that time to work through this, and he's going to decide right before the early signing period. So USC's in a tough position now where they almost have to close the deal with Jackson Dart or this looks bad. If they get Dart, and it's a, a class of Dart and Moss, I think they're going to be satisfied with the outcome of things. And that's not at all an indictment or a knock on Jake Garcia. I still think Jake Garcia is probably has the best arm talent of the three, but they're all such different quarterbacks, such different skill sets. So I don't know that I have a full confident evaluation on who is the best of the three, but if we're going to break down individual facets of the game, I think Jake Garcia may have the best arm. Uh, so he's a, he's a very talented quarterback and, uh, if USC does not land Jackson Dart, I think fans are going to be rightfully upset about how this played out. But they certainly went into this knowing what could happen, and they, they are just all in on Jackson Dart. And now if they close the deal with him, I think they're going to feel just fine with the outcome. But that would be a storyline to monitor in the weeks ahead. All right, Max, I want to get your take more so on the game this week. We got robbed of a game last week. I know. And, and we're back, at least tentatively. And, you know, as Clay Helton has said, it's, you just kind of pray every day that the tests come back favorable. But it looks like we're on track for USC to host Washington State on Sunday at 4.30 on FS1. Let's start broad and we'll get narrow. What do you see from this Washington State team in this first year under Coach Nick Rolovich and with a freshman quarterback in Jaden Delora?
1: I'll start broad. I think I was worried early on of, hey, does Wazoo take a step back? I mean, for a good decade there, Wazoo was was awful. I mean, uh, when I was growing up, and then they obviously built that back up and had some of their best years under Mike Leach. So anytime you lose that coach, you always kind of wonder, what's the drop-off? You pair that with bringing in a true freshman quarterback in Jaden Delora, who USC recruited late last year. He's come in. First uh, true freshman starting quarterback for Wazoo and, uh, in recent memory, but they're still explosive. Uh, I put them, we, we previewed Co- Colorado, and obviously that game uh, was canceled, but we previewed Colorado about a week ago. And the narrative was kind of hey, we weren't sure where this team was gonna be, and they're holding their own. They're competing. Their offense is doing some things. Uh, they have have a solid team. I put Wazoo in that same light. Um, obviously lost to Oregon, but we're competitive. Uh, competitive there, especially putting things up offensively, and yeah, looking high level at the offense. It's it's still a threat of the air ray. They're gonna call it the run and shoot. That's kind of what Rolovich is is doing coming from Hawaii and. Uh, basically, I think it's a similar mentality, passing wise, but they're just going to incorporate some more schematic run plays in there. And um, Dean McIntosh—that's—he's kind of been been their guy this year in terms of running backs, and and he's he's been solid. The key talking point this week is whether or not they'll get Max Borgie back. Max Borgie's is one of the best backs not only in the conference but he's up there in the country as well. Super versatile, and so that's kind of the the key. Um, outlook offensively, and then uh, and, and then defensively, uh, they're a, a bunch that I mean had some transfers, had some guys leave the program, kind of patching together. It's a group that didn't necessarily have that much talent to start with on defense already, but the front sevens got got a bunch of guys that have played a lot of football, whether they're extremely talented or guys that USC should fear. I don't know as, as much there, but that's kind of the uh, the high-level scope with the Cougs, one and one right now, definitely have to be respected, uh, but I put them in a very similar category as kind of where Colorado was at when we were talking about them uh, a week or so ago. I love the hire of Nick Rolovich, and
0: you mentioned that he's a little nuanced from Mike Leach, it's not a carbon copy, they do different things, but if, if you have an offense that's geared a certain way and you have been recruiting personnel to fit that kind of style – I think that it was a relatively smooth transition to Rod Leavich, what he wants to do. And also, he, he he's a character. I mean, maybe not to the level of Mike Leach, but he, he's got a big personality as well. So I think in terms of keeping the culture and the, the mindset they had there, I think they probably found the right
1: guy. There, there's a reason that so many people were... Uh, we're stoked when when that hire uh, happened. I remember covering on, on for SiriusXM, I mean, anytime Washington State, you lose a guy like Mike Leach, who brought you some of your best years, and Wazoo's been like that, or been down this road before of, I mean, early 2000s, having some of their best years, losing their head coach to Alabama, and then the program takes a dip for, like I said, like a decade, and so you would think that Hey, Wazoo fans like, man, Mike Leach is leaving. Uh, we're, we're about to enter the dark ages, but it's not like that at all. I think Rolovich, like you said, perfect personality uh, match for where they're at in Wazoo. And to just add on to your points about recruiting, I mean, we, we've all known, I mean, Wazoo's had the receivers. They've had dudes over the years that are productive. It's the same case this year. Um, two top guys, Travelle Harris and Renard Bell, two of the top receivers in the Pac-12. I think they're right next to uh Amon Ross St. Brown and Drake London in terms of production. So they're right up there. They're still going to put points up uh, on the board, especially through the air. I think the big kicker this year that, hey, if, if you're a USC fan, what, walk into this game, what's different about this Wazoo team? It's the running attack and their ability to, to lean on the run game if they need to. And we'll see how that impacts a USC team that is weak at the linebacker position, potentially walking into this week. And then also, Wazoo's offensive line is a group that's played a lot of football. I think going into the season, it was north of like 75-plus starts uh, of experience on that group. And we'll see where they're at with COVID and and, and all that. Guys maybe, uh, maybe banged up, but this is a team that going into the year, both their tackles had uh, – NFL outlook, and uh, if they're healthy, I think that's something that USC uh, keep your eye on there in terms of uh potential run game a little bit.
0: Yeah, it's, it has to be said that that both teams have kind of had a, a, a their bout with COVID, and we don't really know who USC is going to have back. Clay Helton's been very coy about that. Um, I tried to ask as directly as possible. We we talked to him on Thursday. I said, "Of your." standard five starting offensive linemen. How many do you expect to have available on Sunday? And he said, that's a competitive advantage. We're not going to reveal that. So, well, all we did learn is that the clock for the contact tracing quarantiners, uh, at least for some of them, for the, some of the initial ones, did start retroactively to the Utah game. And, again, I know this this sounds backwards, but the the county regulations are if you test positive – It's a 10-day isolation. If you are identified as an at-risk contact or contact tracing, it's a 14-day quarantine. And so 14 days from the Utah game would expire today or tomorrow, depending on how you structure it. So they should have some of those guys back. We just don't know who uh, or how many. But going back to Washington State, I want to dive a little deeper into Rolovich's offense. What's the biggest difference that fans will see who were familiar with the Mike Leach Washington State teams
1: yeah it's it's certainly the run game but to be even a little bit more specific I think you'll get the sense that at times Wazoo's coming right at you with the run game versus just visually watching the Mike Leach offense you always sense that the run game was just a change of pace right it was literally just a hey let's keep you honest here a little bit defense it was kind of We'll, we'll, we'll throw it in at times, but it was never complicated. It was never um, schemed, I guess you could say, in terms of... I shouldn't say that, but uh, you, you didn't get the feel that they were really trying to dial up a run play. It was almost just kind of, hey, it's time to time to call this kind of thing. And, th- and that's going to be the biggest difference, I think, Going into this game, both with the the week off, Wazoo hasn't played, uh, once again, USC's playing a team, uh, an opponent that has not played the week before, but going into this game, do they get Max Borgie back? I can't stress that enough because he is Washington State's most talented football player. I, I, Wazoo saw, or USC saw him early on in his career. He's from the state of Colorado, they call him like Minnie McCaffrey or whatever, I'm not going to say he's going to be the best running back in the NFL, not going that far, but he's a special player. So if they get him back and obviously the production they've already had from their current back, Deion McIntosh, I would expect them um, to lean on that aspect a decent amount, especially with USC's uh, linebackers who we've seen the first few weeks, they've struggled at times with being gap sound. If you start creeping into some of these backups, if Pallie is hurt and go forth, who knows where he's at. If they are if they start creeping into more and more uh, backups there, getting the running game involved for Wazoo, forcing these running backs to both fill the A and B gap, or the linebackers to both fill the A and B gaps, but then also run side to sideline with this passing attack, that to me would be the recipe for success for Wazoo. But it's certainly the, the running game. I think passing-wise... It's a it's a, it's a similar, similar feel, I guess you would say, to Mike Leach. And what I mean by that is when you were game planning to face Washington State, you knew you were going to have to cover every aspect of grass. What does that mean? It means, hey, they could throw a five-yard hitch, then they could throw a deep comeback to the other sideline, then they could throw a go ball, and then they could hit you across the middle with a little drag route or something like that. They had every... All their route concepts could be could could attack every inch of the grass, which is not necessarily what we've seen from the other offenses so far. Arizona, a little bit, but certainly not Utah and ASU. And so this is an offense that's going to put pressure on you, but uh, look for and expect a little bit more flavor to the run game than we've seen in the past.
0: As for Max Borgie, so he missed the first two games with an undisclosed injury. He did return to practice this week, but the reports from up that way are are pretty inconclusive as to whether that means he's going to play this week or if he's just getting close to a return. So uh, both sides playing, playing a little gamesmanship with their personnel and who's going to be available. And we'll see there. You mentioned USC's linebackers. I'm glad you brought it up so I didn't forget. EA has remained in the concussion protocol. And we're... We're talking almost two weeks from that game now. Uh, yeah. No, well, no, he, it was the uh, it was the Arizona game for him. I even forgot that. So it's been it's been over it's been over two weeks, almost three weeks that he's been in that. So I would expect that he probably doesn't play this week. And then Raylan Go for it. sounds like the foot strain or sprain that he was dealing with was more severe than we were initially led on to believe, and that he was still working through that this week. and And there was some optimism that he could play, but it wasn't totally um, solid as to what to expect there. So that could be one of the storylines of the game is USC's banged-up linebacker crew where you may have to see a Raymond Scott plugged in there again versus those running backs, especially if Max Borgie is healthy. Max, let's talk quarterback Jaden Delora. I'm going to tell a quick story real fast about Jaden Delora and his interesting recruitment. As you mentioned at the top of the show, USC did pursue him late in the cycle last year in that 2020 class remember they had lost Bryce Young and flipped to Alabama and they really struggled to find someone to fill that void they took a few swings and didn't work out Um, they hosted Blake Schappen on campus a three-star from Louisiana he chose to go to Baylor they flirted a little bit with a a guy named Cade Fennigan who was actually in Argentina finishing up a, a church mission he went to Boise State they reached out to C.J. Stroud, who obviously went to Ohio State, but nothing ever materialized there. But they really, really liked Jaden Delora, the four-star from Hawaii, and they were hopeful that he would not sign in the early signing period and give them more time to really put a concerted effort and try and sway him to USC. He does sign in the early signing period, and then a few weeks later, Mike Leach bolts. He leaves from Mississippi State. And it just so happened that I was in Hawaii for the Polynesian Bowl, like right when that happened or a few days after Mike Leach left and we talked to Jaden Delora and there was a lot of speculation that he he might look to get out of his commitment at that point of his his letter of intent and I asked him and he was pretty blunt about it he goes yeah definitely I was definitely thinking about it but I talked to the AD and he said just wait till you see who I hire and, and then and then we'll go from there and I said well is there Is there a coach that that would make you feel better about things? He goes, oh, yeah, if they hire Rolovich, then I would definitely stay because he was the first guy to recruit me from Hawaii. We have a good relationship, so if they hire him, I'll definitely stay. I got the impression that they didn't hire him. He was still very open-minded and and may have looked to either get out of his letter or, or, or transfer somewhere. And who knows? Maybe USC would have still been high on his list there. But as it turns out, uh, they hire Rolovich. He stays. He's now starting as a true freshman. Has been pretty impressive, at least statistically. And USC will have to face him on Sunday. Max, what jumps out to you about Jaden Elora?
1: The fact that he doesn't look like a freshman, um, I think that's always the the first thing that, that, that always sticks out to me right away is, hey, when a true freshman plays, do you get the sense that the offensive coordinator is holding back any of the offense or trying to protect him or really trying to lean on the run game to kind of get him acclimated to things? There is no sense of that with Delora. The the, the the playbook is what it is. They're going to roll out there. He might make a couple of mistakes, and even then, it's not uh, very apparent uh, if and when those are happen. but he's a stud. I, I think uh, he's a name that we're going to be talking about for three or four more years. Is he going to be uh, Garner Minshew status someday or something? I, we'll, we'll see, but I think he has the foundation to be a very successful quarterback, and, and I can't blame him for going to Washington State. I think Um, if you're a guy like him, he kind of has that run-and-shoot mentality. And kind of what I mean by that is he's not afraid to take some shots. He's got enough mobility to really keep Giannis, but it's not necessarily where you're going to scheme run plays for him. And you just get the sense that he's a he's a little gunslinger back there he's got the got the crazy hair the the dyed red hair it just feels like a a good nick rolovich quarterback and and a nice match with wazoo i i think the biggest thing for me walking into this game and it's it's really a thing for both sides is how much does rust come into play and kind of the 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 layoff there a little bit and you couple that with all right jane Delore, he's already got two games under his belt Um, Probably some of those initial jitters that you would have as a true freshman. Maybe they're gone. It's only been two games. Obviously, coming to the Coliseum is a different animal for for some guys. But how does he react there? And this is also um, the best secondary that he's going to face. He's faced Oregon, but with Oregon's guys, some of those guys leaving early, I still would, would put USC's secondary right up there. And so, yeah, interesting to follow. I think the last point I would say about Delora is, I mean, it's impressive for a true freshman to come in there and, and, and win the job. And, and and oftentimes when there's a new coaching staff, sometimes you see quarterbacks transfer out and whatnot. And uh, Wazoo definitely had its fair share of transfers and guys leaving the program. But uh, the fact that he was went in there and was able to beat out some solid quarterbacks, a guy uh, in Camden Cooper up there at Wazoo who was uh, like 15th ranked pro-style quarterback up there, like had some good, solid recruitment – the fact of a true freshman's ability to go in there and beat those guys out, I think it shows a little bit of maybe what we saw a little bit last year of Keaton Slovis of behind the scenes. It's a guy that's getting it done at practice, and you get no sense that the transition to, to Division One football was uh, was really that hard and there wasn't a extreme uh, learning curve. So it's a true freshman, but you can't sleep on this kid. He's a stud. He's going to be a name we're going to be talking about for uh, many years to come. Yeah,
0: two games, 548 passing yards, four touchdowns, one pick, and 54 yards rushing in a touchdown. So definitely an impressive start to his career. Max, I kind of thought that the Colorado game could have been a get-right game for the USC offense. Um, Obviously, they're an intriguing team, a frisky team, but they give up a lot of points. Same thing here for Washington State. They gave up 28 to Oregon State and 43 to Oregon could this be a game where we see the USC offense finally put it together? And I know there's some caveats there, as we don't know about the status of the offensive line, which is a major factor. But just in general, from a matchup standpoint, is this a, a good matchup for the USC offense?
1: It is. I mean, once again, like you said, we'll see what happens to the offensive line in COVID. But if we... I don't think this will be the case. Let's say all the offensive line is healthy, good to go, ready to play. Um, This is a Wazoo defense that they lost a lot of transfers. I've alluded to that a couple times uh, this past offseason, but they just lost a lot of bodies. I mean, you pair um, with what happened with COVID and whatnot and and guys making business decisions there, paired with the fact that it's an entire new program, and anytime you have a new coach, there's roster movement there. The defense has certainly taken a hit there um, in terms of just sheer depth with, with scholarship guys there. It's a unit that, I mean, Pac-12 fans, you know the deal. It's a, it's a, it's a scrappy unit. It, it's not a unit that has a lot of necessarily on-paper talent and stars and all that, but it's a, it's a unit that's going to play hard. Um, I, I, their, their front seven has um, guys that have played some ball. The, the depth's not necessarily there, but to me, I think that their best position, uh, if they're healthy, is the linebacker unit. Um, two guys that have played a lot of football for them, Jihad Woods, been there for a, while, a long time. Pretty sure he started last time Wazoo was in the in the Coliseum, and then Justice Rogers, actually a kid I used to train with back in uh, back when I was in high school. He was a, he was a youngster, former quarterback in the area, now plays linebacker uh, linebacker for them. He's solid. They also their player of the week in week one was uh, Aiden Hector. So they have some guys at the linebacker position, but it's certainly a group that if you're USC, you are walking into this game saying, if we do what we need to do, we should really be able to get after this team. If you're Wazoo, you're saying, all right, SC potentially has some weak spots in the offensive line, maybe. Let's try to get some push, be stout up up front uh, interior-wise, allow our linebackers to make some plays. And it's a, it's a secondary that I don't think any one guy scares me, but they got some talent and a little bit of speed back there. Um, they run a 4-3 scheme, which is a little bit uh, different than some of the schemes that uh, USC has seen up to this point, which when you're running 4-3, sometimes when you're facing these air raid teams like a USC, it it it, uh, it doesn't allow you to do exotic pressures and things like that just because you don't have as many linebackers back there. So we'll see how that adjustment goes. But uh, just kind of a, a typical... Skill level Washington State defense, but a team that's been uh, that has depth concerns just with all the movement from their roster, uh, not only with COVID, but uh, all the offseason stuff going on.
0: Yeah, um, you mentioned Aiden Hector. He's another guy that was on USC's radar last recruiting cycle. Okay, well, let's talk about the offensive line. Let's kind of close with that. Again, I, I kind of told you at the top of the show what Clay Helton said. We don't know how many of those guys are back. So, so here's the timeline of how it broke down. USC initially reported on Monday, November 23rd, that it had a single, singular, single positive test coming off that Utah game. It then announced Wednesday that a second player tested positive and five others had been quarantined. Then we found out Thursday that a third player was showing symptoms would later test positive. Uh, and two others were subsequently identified as high-risk contacts in quarantine. And then a fourth player tested positive that Friday, last Friday. So all that led to the Colorado game being canceled. What that means is that it's not one lump-sum group that's returning at the same time. Those players are going to go through the the protocol and process and return it sporadically. And just doing the math, not not all of them are going to be able to make it back for this game, I can't imagine. Again, I did get Clay to confirm that at least some of those early uh, contact tracing guys were able to retroactively start the clock at the Utah game. And uh, I'll just... Remain eternally baffled as to how all this works. So I'm just, <laughs> I'm just giving you the, the the raw data, and you can make your own interpretations the same way I am. But uh, you have to think that that maybe that first positive test, and maybe uh, those those initial five contact tracing guys might be back. Maybe the second positive test as well. So if you get seven out of eleven back, that's pretty good. But it depends on who it is, you know we don't know where these starting offensive linemen are in that group so max as a quarterback what would be your uneasiness if you have to go into a game like this and let's just say that there are two guys up there that have never played with you in a game on the offensive offensive line
1: yeah the uneasiness is uh, is right there I, I think we've talked about it many times uh this year is uh walking into week one wasn't sure where the offensive line or where the offensive tackle position was at i think I really like where uh, Elijah Vera Tucker's at. Jalen McKenzie's doing solid. But after that, it is guys that are unproven. And if one of those guys is down, then that kind of shifts uh, shifts a lot of things, especially if, if one of those guys is Elijah Vera Tucker. That, to me, is concerning. And and this is the foundation. If, if Wazoo's going to come to the Coliseum and upset the Trojans, I think it's, it's gonna it's going to start with, hey, USC either has one or two or potentially even more. Uh, starters that are out, guys like a Jonah Monheim, a Cortland Ford. We've seen some D- D-ditch, but if those guys have to step in and play a role, that to me is very concerning just with establishing the run game, protecting Keaton, all those type of things. And so, yeah, my concern would be get if I'm Keaton is getting my, uh, get my face knocked off and not having time to throw uh, if some of those young guys come in. And that to me is a huge factor in this game of Hey, we've, uh, both teams have had some time off. Both teams are having uh, potential depth concerns. How do you handle the game plan? Do you go—I mean, you can't go overly complex. You can't have tons of exotic blitz packages for USC, in my opinion, because if you're going to count on young guys to go out there and produce— that's going to be hard to operate right there. In the same token, uh, if USC gets a quarterback uh, or, or feels like they need to do a quarterback spy against Jaden Delora, which they did against Arizona, uh, that's harder to implement in a, in a practice week where you don't have all your guys active, where you may have had limited time. Because if you're doing things like quarterback spy, everyone on the defense has to adjust. And certain things like that will be interesting to follow Of hey, do you just roll out a very vanilla game plan and just say, hey, we have more talent than Wazoo, let's l- let let our guys play, let's make sure these young guys aren't thinking? Or do you do a little bit more of what we've seen the first few weeks where Todd Orlando, especially defensively, is going to do a little bit more, more exotic things and uh, in, in, in items of that sort. Offensively, USC doesn't really have, um, I wouldn't say they're overly complex, so that's not as big of a concern. But if you better believe if, if USC rocks out some young offensive linemen there, if you're Wazoo, I would definitely break out what whatever blitz packages you have, try to confuse these young offensive linemen, and, uh, and have that be the area where you can potentially uh, pull the upset over the Trojans.
0: Yep, and we're not going to know until game day. Uh, so we'll be out there super early on Sunday before the game, seeing who's practicing, who's warming up. Um, but that, we're not really going to probably know which offensive linemen are available and which aren't until then. So stay tuned. Be on Trojansports.com before the game. I'll be out there. I'll be giving you all those updates. Max, predictions, prediction time. And remember, there's still a lot to play for for this USC team. They're still unbeaten. They still control their path to the Pac-12 championship game. I think the playoff talk's gone to the wayside. But uh, it's, you know, yeah. given what this season is, I think you, you got to look at it. Potential Pac-12 championship as uh, as a nice enough carrot at the end of the, the trail. So that's all still in play for them. This is a big game. What is your prediction for Sunday?
1: Uh, let's see here. I'll go I'll go 27-24 Ooh. USC. Yep, USC. A little bit maybe more low scoring than you think. I think some of these depth concerns could rear their ugly head for both teams that allow – um, continuity is way more of a factor with offensive football than defensive football. And so with that in mind, feel like it could be maybe a little bit more lower, low scoring than we think. I think USC gets it done and I also agree with you we I, I briefly brought up the, the the college football playoff in the last podcast. I think US, USC needed every single data point they could get in terms of uh, in terms of games and by losing that regular season game, I, I do think that's that's out of the question now even if they do run the table but I think they win the game. And uh, and stay unbeaten right now? Well, I guess I'm
0: gambling on some continuity on the offensive side and, and not being in a total, uh, total disarray up front. So I went with a little higher score. I'm going to go USC 41-28. I'm buying into the offense, finally having a breakout game, and uh, that being the story of the day. But obviously if we get out there and we find out that Cortland Ford and Casey Collier and Jonah Monheimer in the starting lineup for the offensive line, uh, and again, no knock on those guys, great upside for all three, but they haven't played yet, then I will I will feel a little bit silly in my prediction. But you know what? It's, it it's it going to be
1: an interesting 48 hours for us leading up to, to yeah. game time. <laughs> it, it wouldn't be the
0: first time I've, I've felt silly about a prediction after the fact, so no worries there. <laughs> All right, Max, you and I will talk uh, on Monday, recapping the game, and stay tuned on the show here as I bring in Adam Gorney to talk recruiting and early signing period. Thanks, Ron. All right, good to have Max back on. As always, we're going to bring in rivals, analyst Adam Gorney, and just as a heads-up or a uh, disclaimer at the top, Gorney and I taped our main podcast segment on Thursday afternoon a few hours before Jake Garcia decommitted from USC. So then we got back on the phone and uh, discussed that. So I'm going to start with the second segment that Courtney and I did after the Jake Garcia news, and we we break that down, and then I will um, go back in time to our first segment, which was broader and about a bunch of other USC recruiting matters. Without further ado... Okay, so we had just talked a few hours ago about USC's quarterback recruiting triangle with Jake Garcia, Miller, Moss, and Jackson Dart, and then sure enough, as happens this time of year, this close to signing day, news changes, Jake Garcia officially decommits from USC on Thursday night, Adam, what was your reaction to that development? Yeah, it
2: was a uh, a tad surprising, I'm, I'm- Not anywhere near a shock, though. Um, You know, uh, I think when they took the second quarterback in Miller Moss, Jake Garcia wasn't absolutely thrilled about that. And so, you know, Miami for a long time had been a school where he had visited. I think he kind of fits in, you know, uh, socially there just like he would in L.A. I think that's a school that Rhett Lashley has been very involved with. Uh, coming after Garcia, so, um, you know, I'm not completely surprised, but I do have to say that for a long time, Jake was very, you know, sincere about, you know, my move to Georgia has nothing to do with my recruiting, I'm staying committed to USC, Um, and and a lot of kids say that and make a different decision, but it felt like that as long as he was going to be a part of a two-quarterback class, uh, he would be okay with it, especially because when Keaton Slovis leaves, he's going to have an opportunity to step right in there. There's not really anyone else um, stopping him. So it is a little surprising, but uh, I'm not completely shocked. He has been known to bounce around quite a little bit.
0: Right. I, I guess I'm surprised because he he talked to our Chad Simmons on Friday night and was pretty resolute in his comments. And so when I first heard the news, I thought, well, maybe Jackson Dart's committed and he got wind of that. Well, that's not the case. I've talked to people close to the situation uh, Jackson's still deciding between USC and ASU. So that hasn't that domino hasn't fallen yet, and yet something changed from Friday to now where Jake Garcia felt he had to jump out of this class. What is your best guess for where Jake Garcia ends up? And let me just throw out a hypothetical here. If USC somehow does not land Jackson Dart, do you think there's any chance he circles back?
2: Uh, probably unlikely. Um, I would say the best chance by far, Is Miami. I've already been told that two other schools, which I can't name, but one is in the SEC and one is in the ACC have already reached out to Jake and are trying to get him very involved very quickly here. I think that could be interesting. But I honestly think he just wants to go to Miami. Um, I I think that's the situation where he would be able to step in next year um, and compete immediately for a team that is doing much better. Um, that's recruiting well in South Florida and getting players. And I think just that's kind of where he wants to be now. I think he will look at other schools and make the best decision moving forward here. But I would be very surprised if he doesn't end up in this Miami class. As for Dart, this is the pathway to USC, if you ask me. He wasn't afraid of being uh, in a quarterback class of three. Now he's in a quarterback class of two. Yeah. You know, and and, uh, there's no guarantee Slovis is leaving after next year. I mean, he could easily stay two more years. Um, So I would say that, um, you know, he's certainly not scared of of coming into a class. Not that Miller Moss isn't very talented. He is. But if he was willing to come in with three, he's more than willing to come in with two. Um, And I think that is probably where this would be headed. I'd be surprised if it wasn't going this way.
0: So overall, what do you make of USC's play here to to have the two guys committed yet take a strong liking to Dart and be very aggressive in public about pursuing the third quarterback, knowing that this could be the potential fallout?
2: Yeah, it is a a move. I mean, it's definitely a move that could be a little bit dangerous over the long term. Um, If you take Jake Garcia in 21, and then you go after uh, you know do you have devin brown committed for 22 um, you know you still might want to play the transfer market you might want to play the grad transfer market you might want to play whatever uh, portal market that you can do for another quarterback that has worked really well i think usc actually considered that in in 21 and decided that dart was the best option you're you're basically telling you're basically telling garcia and moss um, you know, we need another one in this class. And for a lot of kids, that's going to be, you know, at least give you hesitancy. Um, other teams can recruit against that easily, um, easily, uh, usually quarterbacks are the guys that are first in and last out and basically put the recruiting class together on group chats and text message threads. Um, I always felt that USC, um, it was always like nine-tenths sure on Garcia that he was right. going to stay in this class. I mean, um, you know, he's he's been around to different high schools. Uh, There's nothing binding him to USC. So they always thought they were in a pretty good position. But it's clear by going after now a third quarterback that they weren't absolutely certain he was a lock in it. And it proved out to be true. Either he wasn't or because of that move, now he isn't.
0: And I personally think, though, that when they went down this path with Dart, they were content within the program. If it ended up being Dart and Moss, they would be happy with that outcome. And that's not an indictment on Garcia at all, because we talked when we recorded the first version of this podcast earlier that Garcia might be the most talented of the three, and I think he has the most armed talent of the three. Uh, they all have different skill sets, so it's not an indictment on Garcia. I just know that they really, really, really like Jackson Dart and now all eyes are on whether or not they can close the deal with him and make that gambit pay off.
2: Yeah, if Jackson Dart goes elsewhere, which I would find to be surprising, uh, they have a situation that they need to figure out pretty quickly, um, whether going trying to get someone in 21, getting a second one in 22, or going transfer market. But I, I have to think, and this is based just on talking to Jackson Dart the other day, um, him not giving really any hints of exactly what he was doing. But I have to feel that USC has a pretty solid feel on what he's going to do. Um, by, by going after him in the first place, you're telling Dart and Gar- or, uh, Garcia and Moss that you know, we're bring- we, we could possibly even bring in someone else. So um, you know, if you're looking for a guy that can throw it and make all the throws and run – and be kind of that dual threat a little bit in, in the offense, I think Dart's your guy. I think that's what you're that's what you're looking for, then then you found it. Now it's just closing the deal and making sure he doesn't go to ASU. Exactly.
0: Okay, with that we'll go back to our main conversation with Adam Gourney, which was taped earlier in the day and covers a wide swath of USC recruiting matters and rankings, news, and all kinds of good stuff to get you ready for the early signing period, which is less than two weeks away, starting December 16th. It's a very interesting time of the year. We just had a new batch of Rivals rankings this last week. I want to get into that first, just kind of give us an overview of was it an easier process this time? Because some kids did have high school seasons to judge. But then at the same time, how do you evaluate those who didn't?
2: Yeah, I think it was actually kind of harder. Um, you know, Utah has already done with their state championships. California and Washington aren't sure they're going to play. Some are getting into their playoffs and some haven't played at all. So it's a difficult balance to weigh how you rank kids that did really, really well versus kids that you know would have done probably really, really well if they had played, and also not taking away from them because it wasn't their option not to play. So uh, we had to be very careful about not moving players up that didn't play, um, just the way the numbers kind of fall into place, but also not really penalizing those who didn't play. Uh, We really kind of had to lean on, you know, this is college projection and NFL draft projection, with their high school performance also as a consideration. Um, and that was was kind of difficult.
0: I want to ask you about two USC commits who did see their stock rise a bit. And I know that Michael Trigg, the four-star tight end from Florida, is not in your direct purview, but take us into those discussions and how did he soar all the way from outside the top 250 to number 68?
2: Yeah, he is a kid that, um, you know, is a, an athletic kid, so he's going to be... Um, In the past game, um, he is going to be a physical presence. He's going to be a kid that can be used all over the field to get the ball in his hands. So as we looked at that group, we said, um, you know, based on what he did this season and just how it's going to play out and how we think of him now, after seeing a lot more of him, uh, this is a kid that needs to move up. Um, That's definitely a dramatic move up, but one we think is going to pan out in the right direction.
0: I went and saw him live in October, went out to Tampa, and he plays for a high school that just kind of is, it's a very weak league, and he's just uh, too dominant to be on that field, but you can certainly see that potential just in his his raw physicality and and physical traits and abilities. Another guy who moved up was Michael Jackson III, USC's four-star receiver commit from Las Vegas. He jumps 39 spots into the top 200 despite not having a fall season. What was uh, the thinking there that got him that boost?
2: Yeah, didn't have a fall season, um, but he was at a 7-on-7 seven seven out in Coachella, of all places, um, which was a you know a very well-attended 7-on-7. Seven seven. Looked very good. Seemed bigger. It looked like he grew a few inches, kind of filled out a little bit more. Uh, liked what I saw from him on the field thought that he had done really well in the spring and probably before the shutdown. Um, Luckily rivals had their camp in LA. So we got to see him, you know, at numerous events before the shutdown. And so um, I thought was a kid that probably didn't get the bump that he deserved at the first time Had done well again, kind of compared him to guys ahead of him and, and again felt that he deserved uh, at least a little bit of a bump of you know forty point move is, is pretty significant, but not uh, you know, shooting up the charts. Right.
0: Let's talk Jackson Dart. I went out and saw him in the Utah Six a State Championship game a couple weeks ago. Uh, maybe one of the, the biggest risers uh, in any position in the country this fall, set Utah State records, just got these stats. How did you evaluate the blinding numbers? first the tape that we were able to get and and come to a consensus on on where he belonged to be.
2: Yeah, so you know, the, I I understand the stat debate and and all that kind of stuff. Um, I would caution though that the person he beat was Cameron Cooper who is a Washington State backup quarterback now. So to just rely on stats is very deceiving and and very deceptive too in a ranking sense. Um, but I really like Jackson Dart a whole lot, and um, you know, I will say it that he had started picking up offers, and we slapped a ranking on him, and then we really started digging in deeper and saw this senior season. And he is a really special quarterback. Um, I think he, I think his game translates to college really well. Um, he's a physical kid. He can run. He ran for over 1,000 yards. Um, and everybody knew that he was going to be throwing and running the ball, and they spied him and tried to do as much as they could to stop him, and no one really could. Um, so I think this is an ASU-USC-UCLA battle right now. Um, he told me the other day that getting out and taking visits over the next you know week or so is going to be important, if possible, because he does want to sign early. And he also told me that he doesn't care that USC has two other quarterback commitments. So I like that competition, you know, that ideal that he's going to come in and compete for a starting job if he takes USC, um, you know, and, and 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 ASU and UCLA are up there as well. So it's a situation where you certainly can't ignore the numbers that he put up, but you also have to just kind of take that in consideration of other things. Um Because guys break records all the time and don't really translate to college football. But I do think Jackson Dart will be one of the guys that does um, just because of his physical ability, his passing ability. It's just everything that he – how he runs an offense. Um, And so that's why we we moved him so high up in the rankings.
0: And uh, for those who haven't seen the list, he's at number 105 overall. Uh, Yeah, very physical runner. I mean, there are mobile quarterbacks who are just fast. He – embraces contact he welcomes contact doesn't shy away from it uh wants every extra yard he can get he is built for contact he's a very thick frame and just i'm I'm speaking in a lot of nebulous intangibles here but this is also just a very poised quarterback who just seemed at ease in the pocket every play no matter if he had a pass rusher in his face he'd stay in there take the hit get rid of the ball uh just seemed to know where he wanted to go with things so i was definitely impressed watching him from usc's standpoint it's a situation where where they got those commits and they're, they're high on both those guys. And they didn't really know about Jackson Dart until he started lighting up this fall. And they saw him and they just they really liked him. And they thought he was too good not to recruit. So we'll see what happens with Dart. It's very interesting. But you can't even call it the storyline of USC's recruiting cycle right now because they're still in it for some really interesting guys as well. I'm going to run down the list with you and we'll just get your latest thoughts. Obviously, it starts with Corey Foreman, who is no longer our number one overall national player. He's down to three, I believe, but still a five-star guy, still their top priority. What do you make of Corey Foreman at this point? I know the narrative has changed every two weeks or month uh, for the last six months. What's What are the tea leaves showing you right now?
2: Yeah, the thing with Corey, and, and this is kind of common among a lot of kids, is that when they take a visit, they love it, they fall in love with that school, and that's the school that kind of leads. Um The way it stands right now is he just came off that Clemson visit, had a great time. Um, Definitely a top-two school. USC and Clemson are probably battling it out until he signs on the 16th and then announces on January 2nd during the NBC All-American Bowl ceremony. So, um, you know, from what I've heard is that his dad really wants him at USC, playing with Drake Jackson again like they did at Corona Centennial. starting to weigh on him a little bit more is something that would be very cool to do at least for a year. Um, I think all of those things factor in for USC. Um, I think the, the, the mom has signed off on Clemson, had a great trip there. I think big Dave, we going there every week kind of helps make it feel like home a little bit more than it would have. If if DJ wasn't there, Um, you know, and, and those kinds of things. So, he was supposed to visit LSU this weekend. That trip has been canceled, um, reportedly because his dad had to work. It's supposedly now rescheduled for um, the Ole Miss weekend when they schedule that game, which I would presume the only weekend they could do it is December twelfth. So um, we'll see. I mean, <laughs> I would say I would say if it's USC Clemson that I think USC should probably feel good about where it stands he had been committed to clemson he had his opportunity just to, to recommit he didn't i think that that's good um asu was kind of tailed off although that was a school that he had been considering for a while georgia i don't see happening um lsu could happen mason smith and he are very close friends package deals don't always or rarely honestly work out but that um that could be a possibility because he does love baton rouge um but USC and Clemson right now are battling it out, and I think it's probably a toss-up at this point. If I had to guess, I would guess USC.
0: Yeah, you know, with the Drake-Jackson connection, I was surprised that that got so minimized for a long stretch of this process because when he first decommitted from Clemson, everyone kind of pointed to that connection, and that being a major feather in USC's cap. And not only are, are they close, I mean, they, he's told me before, they talk every other day, they're on FaceTime constantly, but their families are super close. And that just seemed yeah. like like a major uh, comfort factor. And I, I had the same conversation with Corey's dad back in the spring about that, yeah, he really he really wanted Corey to strongly consider the advantages of staying close to home and at least fully weigh what was there for him. So I I always expected this would swing back around and USC would be in the mix in the end with whoever else was there, and that's kind of where we stand now. Uh, another five-star DN that I know whenever – Whenever uh, our rivals, experts like yourself, do the breakdowns and projections, USC's never mentioned, and yet uh, communication is ongoing, and they're, they're trying. JT Tweemaloau, are you still convinced that Ohio State is the favorite there? And I know that he's a guy that we just don't hear from ever.
2: Yeah, what's tough with, uh, with JT is that he doesn't talk. And so <laughs> he will only talk in person, and when he talks in person, he doesn't really tell you much. So... You know, you talk to people close to him, he trains with people and, you know, works out with people and people talk to him and their friends and all those kinds of things. So I would say right now it's Ohio State, Alabama. Alabama is coming on very hard. They want him very badly. They think he's sort of an athletic kind of DN that they could have stand up and move around and do all those kinds of things. Um, Ohio State has been the team that has really long for, for almost his entire recruitment has been the team that has stood out the most but there isn't like major connections there um, you know G. Scott Jr. his former teammate at Eastside Catholic plays there but other than that there's really not like you know a, a, a major reason why he would just sign with Ohio State and not think about anybody else my sense is that it's Ohio State, Alabama and Oregon <sighs> I would I would I would I would find it hard to believe he goes anywhere else but he hasn't taken any visits yet he wants to take this through February if possible or at least into February to try to get out on the road because what JT did was basically opposite of what everybody else did everybody else goes out super early sees all the schools then kind of plays the game of narrowing it down and then kind of takes another round of visits and then makes a decision jt hasn't visited many places he hasn't been out he hasn't seen a lot of schools and then the pandemic hits and then he can't visit places so that's made it a little bit more difficult um that's why i still think washington might have a outside shot just because of the familiarity staying close but playing for you know the team that has been recruiting the best in the pac-12 at oregon makes a lot of sense i've kind of compared them before to a smaller, you know, at least a shorter Eric Armstead. Um, and then Ohio State and Alabama are the two schools that are really national programs that are battling it out. I, I just don't see USC right there right now, at least, and, and unless he visits.
0: Yeah. One guy that they are gaining traction with, it seems, is Rajon Davis, the four-star yeah. linebacker who has been committed to LSU since January 1st. I obviously went out there to visit Rajan this week at Mother Day, and I came away thinking that USC has a major chance. What, what is your takeaway on where things stand with him?
2: Yeah, I've heard some rumors, and you always hear rumors leading into the early signing period, and it looks like he might take it through February uh, just to kind of really think about this. But taking it through February makes me really think that he's rethinking at least looking at USC much more seriously. He has been committed to LSU for so many months. If he was dead set on going to LSU, why wouldn't he just sign in the early period? Right. I mean, it would make complete sense. So I think, um, you know, he's going to see how USC finishes out this season. Um, I, I have been told that the Kyron Ware-Hudson flip from Oregon has kind of opened his eyes to playing together with his modern-day teammate. That's kind of a, you know, a thing that might be way more appealing now. Um, If they get Foreman, I think that's even more appealing. And so they're also after Damani Jackson in 22 from modern day and look very strong for him. So I think Rajon Davis is a kid who probably isn't going to tip his hand much, will play it out through February, but I would not be surprised at one bit. I would actually predict that he ends up in USC's class.
0: What well, was that to me in talking to him was he mentioned that – I, I kind of asked him, I said – you know, coming from a USC family, your dad's a big USC fan. Uh, many thought that you would end up there initially. What was the major thing that drove you elsewhere? And he said, well, it was my connection with Ed Orgeron, but also I was really close with Dave Aranda, who was a defensive coordinator at LSU at the time, and they had spent a lot of time talking specifically about the defense, how he'd be used, and then Aranda obviously leaves and becomes the head coach at Baylor. And he said, I'm still working to rebuild that relationship. And I'm thinking, well, it's been, it's been like 10 months, 11 months. So that, that stood out to me. Uh, he he did mention the Kyron Ware Hudson factor and how that maybe opened some doors to other guys making similar decisions like maybe himself. And then, and then he said, and Domani's really been pushing me to USC too. So we'll get to Domani in a second, but I'm sure that's in, in his mind as well. And, um, he's had tweets about, man, USC's making it look fun again. Uh, I asked him about that. He said uh, the program's totally turned things around this last year. So those are all the reasons why you think it's possible that he can, he can make that decision. Um, I want to get to Damani. Let's just, let's just do him now. He's a 2022 guy, but it seems like he could make a decision at any point in time. Do you have a sense for, for his timeline? And you already said that you think USC looks good. What makes you confident about the Trojans there?
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't know if he's going to rush a decision. Um, I do think he wants to take a look at Ohio State. That's always been a school that he's really liked a lot. Clemson intrigues him um, just because they've been so dominant. I just don't get the Michigan thing. Um, You know, it's a childhood favorite, but is he going to make a lifelong decision off of that? We'll see. I think, uh, you know, I think just, you know, how he's talked about USC – to, to us, the reporters, to other players, um, just kind of how he views himself in that USC defense. Those things um, make me think he goes there. Modern-day kids just, you know, a lot of them, other than Bryce, go to USC. I mean, that's very common and popular. Um, he'd be able to stay in L.A. He's a big physical cornerback that would be able to dominate in the Pac-12. He can run with people. So in space, he's perfectly fine. Um, the offenses that he sees that would see in the PAC 12 is what he sees every week in high school football. And then he would be making a decision. If this turns out this way, that two of his teammates both flipped from other schools, um, to USC and the best player in the state is going to USC. So they're building upon something. he could see that. So kind of from everything, every sense that I get is that, um, you know, he'd be an awesome, awesome player in the Big Ten and the ACC and the SEC wherever he goes. Um, just because he's so physical and and, and fast. But
0: um, every sense that I've been getting is that USC looks really good for him. Um, speaking of cornerbacks, one more guy for the twenty twenty one class is Sierra Wright, who has been taking his time throughout this process. Do you have any updated gauge on where things stand with the four star corner from Loyola?
2: Yeah, it's uh, sort of interesting. I I still think USC gets him. Um, he talks about business, you know, starting his own business and being in business and all those kinds of things, and he talks about acting. And and we're not just talking about you a know, play on, on the weekend at his high school. He's uh, in Space Jam 2. He's going to be in movies and TV shows. And you're going to tell me he's going to be doing that from South Bend or Ann Arbor okay. or Lincoln or Salt Lake City? I, I, I highly doubt that. So he seems um, – I, I would be very surprised – just not from a football perspective which obviously usc offers a lot of things um but just from off the field the opportunities that he would be presented in la compared to where where else he's looking um it would be it would be shocking if he if he ended up anywhere else i think he's definitely um you know leaning toward usc he's he's gonna do his due due diligence though because he's a smart kid who's just up at oregon i think that's intriguing for you know numerous reasons he's out at Notre Dame now, you know, I, I just think his off field interests are going to keep him close to home because he's going to be able, be able to have the best of both worlds here.
0: Well, I have one last question for you, but let me just finish setting the table real quick here. In terms of other guys who are still in play for USC, They'd like to add another receiver. They're really high on Joseph Manjak, the three-star prospect from Houston, who was another just crazy stats guy this year, uh, versatile. He's done it rushing, receiving, even passing. They're super high on him, and since he decommitted from Washington State, it seems like there's a really good chance that they could get him into the fold. Uh, Titus Mokia Malala out in Hawaii is still out there as the four-star receiver. No one seems to know where things stand with him whenever I ask. I think he's taking his time. And then, initially, they wanted a second running back, but if this NCAA eligibility relief measure means that Stephen Carr or Vavai Malapai can come back next year, it's not as pressing a need. The two names still out there are Alton McCaskill from Texas and Byron Cardwell, who I, I know has been viewed as a cowling, and things have not really been buzzing with USC, but I know he's still in play somewhat. Any thoughts on those guys before we get to the final question?
2: It yeah, doesn't, doesn't it feel like Stephen Carn has been there for <laughs> two decades? It does. <laughs> it does, yeah. Um, yeah, I think Manjack, you know, decommitted from Washington State for a reason. I think he probably ends up at USC. Kind of reminds me of one of those guys that goes to, like, SMU or Texas Tech and just catches a lot of passes and gets a lot of yards. And, you know, is just a guy that you're constantly reliable, you know, is reliable to – to move the ball down the field. And obviously um, you love that Cardwell's interesting. He just landed Oregon and Notre Dame offers. Um, he is another kid who's um, you know, probably going to take this through February. He's not rushing anything. Um, I think even more slowed down now after those offers um, wants to take visits, has said kind of on the record that if kids commit, he's not worried about a spot because then you know it wasn't the school that that really wanted him uh i i just don't know where usc is there it seems like cal it seems like notre dame maybe right um you know that that's that's tough to know especially not knowing what the um what the running back room is going to look like next year depending on what those guys do so um you know i think that's kind of where it stands with them
0: um one last time I didn't mention that a three-star offensive lineman, Austin Uke from Dallas is also still in the mix. But my final question to you, Adam is what do you think is a realistic best case scenario for how USC finishes this 2021 recruiting cycle, both in terms of ranking and in terms of the guys we just mentioned and how many of those pieces of the puzzle they get to fit together.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I just think it's going to end well. Um, and I, and I don't even really know if it matters how they do on the field. Um, I think that's going to play, you know, sort of a factor. And, you know, sitting now at uh, 3-0, and which, you know, honestly could easily be 1-2, and um, you know, I, there's just, you know, there's like a rhythm to this that once one kid goes and they play 7-on-7 together and they play high school football together and do they really want to just go across the country and all those kinds of things... And that happens a lot out here. A lot of kids, you know, talk the big game and take the big visits. At the end of the day, they end up in California at one of the schools somewhere. So I think I I just have a sense that uh, that's going to play out at quarterback. I think Dart is very much an option. Um, You know, I think Jackson Dart is best-case scenario quarterback. Man Jack, I probably would take USC. Uke, I don't know much about. Foreman, Davis – Right, probably all end up at USC.
0: Man, that would be quite a turnaround from last year.
2: Yeah, yeah. And and I I do have to say, um, you know, having Armand Jr. on staff, having Dante, it just seems like this staff is much more aggressive and involved than they were last year, and it's paying off. Um, I think it's paying off. You know, last year the, the number one guys in the state flow and, all those guys, you know, Sewell in, in Utah weren't even really, well, that's a different situation. But Flo, I mean, 10, 15 years ago, that, that kid is at USC every weekend, and it's a no-brainer, you know. And, yeah. and the year before that, Thibodeau is a USC kid. I mean, that's. But, but now they're starting to really kind of hammer down on those kids, be very aggressive, kind of counter the argument of other schools that have kind of come in here and won a lot of those things. And uh, I think it's going to pay off.
0: Adam, great stuff. Thank you.
2: All right, man. I'll talk to you, right?